Welcome and thanks for tuning in to our podcast. My name is Donovan, my wife Jessica and I are the lead pastors here at Destiny Church Praha. We know that today's message will bless and encourage you because the Bible tells us that the Word of God is alive and active. If you want to connect in with us, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, follow us on social media or visit our website at destinypraha.com. Let's get into the Word. I am really excited to be sharing the Word with you today. As I've been preparing this word, as I've been collecting my thoughts and what I feel God's saying, I've been so blessed and encouraged myself that I really believe this is going to bless you and inspire you. Today, I would like to look at the life of a character in the Bible, one that you'll probably all know the name of and you'll know exactly who they are when I say their name, but perhaps you don't know some of the details of their life. The person I'd like to look at today is Sarah. Now, Sarah is a character in the Old Testament. She was the wife of Abraham and the mother of Isaac. And one of the first things we learn about Sarah is that she was barren. And you know, in the Old Testament, this was a huge issue. Many people today, they choose not to have children. But in the Old Testament, for a woman not to be able to produce children on her own, it was believed to be a a negative sign. It was believed that there was something wrong with the woman, that, that perhaps God was causing her not to be blessed. In some ways, she was cursed. And of course, this brought anguish, shame and despair to many women like Sarah. But as you will know, I'm sure from Genesis, after many years of not being able to have children, Sarah made the decision to give her handmaid, Hagar, to her husband in order that they might create children. And you know, this was a common practice at this time, but this was not what God intended. This is not how God intended to give Abraham and Sarah children. And the truth is that once Hagar had Ishmael, Abraham's first son, Hagar despised Sarah. And in return, Sarah dealt very, very harshly with her handmaid. And clearly the whole situation became very, very difficult. And I'm sure many of you here know of family relationships that are not ideal and become, become very difficult. But this situation was man-made and that's why it was a negative one. It was not God's best plan. It was not what he intended. And you know, the barrenness of Sarah, it stands in complete tension with the central theme of the Abraham story, the story you all know, the promise that God would make him the founder of a mighty nation, that his descendants would be like the stars. And we see this contradiction between the reality of Sarah's daily life and the promise that God gave. And in many ways, Sarah embodies, especially at the start of her life, the themes of fear and doubt. And you know, Sarah was childless until she was 90 years old. Can you imagine, ladies, month after month, the disappointment until you're 90? But you know, God had promised Abraham that she would be the mother of nations. Notice, mother of nations, not mother of dragons, mother of nations, and that she would conceive a son. In Genesis 17, it says, As for Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name, I will bless her, and moreover will give you a son by her, I will bless her and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. But before Isaac's born, she has some other things to deal with. They're forced by famine to leave the land. 
And Abraham is fearful that the Egyptians will kill him in order to take Sarah because she is very beautiful. So his concerns actually in biblical history kind of make sense as adultery was considered a more grievous offence sometimes than even murder. So Abraham's solution, although it might seem a little bit bizarre to us, he asked Sarah to say that she's his sister and therefore they might take her but they would not kill Abraham in the process. And he would thus perhaps share his wife, but maybe save his life. And I don't know about you, but I wonder about what marital conversation they had (laughs) regarding this plan. You know, Sarah, as a beautiful woman, would be put into what was a very vulnerable and dangerous situation in order to save Abraham's life. I guess she must have truly loved them and they truly wanted to stay together. And although these wife-sister stories, I guess, are a little bit difficult for us to understand, the fact is that Sarah becomes a slave in Pharaoh's house. She herself is not in danger of her life, but God acts to protect her by afflicting Pharaoh and his house with great plagues until he realises the problem and then he sends Sarah away. What an experience for Sarah. I wonder if in in these times, whether she perhaps finally began to believe God's word over her and Abraham's life. Surely a a few plagues created on her behalf would convince her. Imagine yourself in a vulnerable situation and God comes along to protect you, so he sends a plague of frogs. Or as you're standing there, you see a plague of locusts flying by you. I mean, if you think you could trust him then, You'd have to, you'd have to be convinced, God, your call is upon my life. You've spoken, you've promised me. And I think that perhaps Sarah went through that process. And Abraham himself seems to be on his own journey because God informs him that although he has Ishmael as a firstborn son to Hagar, he will have his own son and that the destiny and the promises will come through Sarah. And I wonder how many times Abraham looked at Ishmael and thought, God, I've got a son. Why not use this one? Why not create all your promises and all the plans and all the destiny? But you know, once again, that would have been man-made efforts. That wasn't God's best plan. That was them trying to go their way around to try and make something happen. And God always has a best plan. And you know, when God reminds Abraham of the promise through Sarah, He falls on his face laughing because they're old. He's 100 and Sarah is 90 years old. Can you imagine being told at 90 years old, ladies, that you're going to have a baby? Men, at 100 years old, you're going to become a father again. Can you imagine having a crying baby in your house at 100? And, you know, just as Abraham laughs, so does Sarah. But God kind of ignores Abraham's laugh but reacts to Sarah And I wonder if at this point, Sarah really should be understanding how important she is. She really should be understanding and seeing God's hand in her life, that she can trust him, that she can believe the promises and that she's so important to God's plan. Finally, Isaac's born. And Sarah and Abraham see the fulfillment of God's promise to them. And you know, having secured Isaac's position in the family, Sarah disappears from Genesis. She plays no role in the near sacrifice of Isaac. 
And finally, we hear that she dies at the age of 127 in Hebron. And we find Abraham doing some interesting things. Firstly, he buys a property in the land of Israel, the cave of Machpelah, forgive my pronunciation. And this cave is in order so that he can bury her. And this is interesting because it contains the first record of mourning for the dead and of silver as a medium of purchase because Abraham was quite insistent that he wanted to purchase this land. Now, I'm sure that mourning for the dead was, was a normal, natural thing. And of course, burial was a matter of necessity. But Abraham goes to great effort to have Sarah buried in a specific place. And I believe, again, this shows his love and also his respect for her. And the cave itself is found in the West Bank city of Hebron. And actually, it became the burial place of not only Sarah, but Abraham, Isaac, their children, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, so many of that family. And according to Jewish tradition, it's the, also the entrance to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve are buried. And I find that interesting, that here in the ancestry of Christ, they are buried alongside the natural ancestry of humanity. And Sarah, she's mentioned three more times in the book of Genesis and is remembered in the prophecies of Isaiah as the ancestress of her people, a really important woman. So why am I sharing the snippets of Sarah's story with you today? Firstly, I believe God wants to say to us that we don't need to try to make th things happen by our own strength. You know, Sarah's doubt drives her to devise her own way of realising the promise by giving Abraham Hagar so that she might have a child. And you know, how often do we kind of want to help God along with his promises? You know, sometimes when we're younger, we think, oh, well, you know, don't see anyone in this church for me. No, have a look around. No, there's no one here for me. Maybe I'll just go and visit this other church. Maybe I'll just go and see their youth service. Let's have a look and see who's there. And, you know, I know many people who've started dating non-Christians because they got fed up waiting. They got fed up waiting for God's promise or God's best. And after marriage, they clearly see that they've ended up with something they pursued, which is, again, a little bit like Sarah's plan, man-made, not God's best intention. And I want to encourage you not to let your doubts or the long waiting for any promise cause you to try to make it happen for yourself. Let God do what only God can do. And if you truly want to see God's promises fulfilled in your life, it will be through his hands, not through your hard work or interference. It's also notable that Sarah is the only woman in the Bible whose name was changed. God changed many names of men throughout the Bible, but she's the only woman. She was first called Sarah, meaning my princess. But God changed her name to Sarah, which signifies a lady of nobility or a princess to all. So she goes from being my princess to a princess of all. Sarah was blessed by God to become a royal princess. She would be the mother of nations to come. Royal lineages 
lineage, I can't say that word quite, lineages would come from her, the generations. She would be the mother of the royal line of King David, of, from which, of course, Christ the Saviour came. And you know, Sarah was promised her son, and his name was to be called Isaac. And God said specifically that the covenant that he established with Abraham would be carried through to Isaac. Notice what God says to Isaac in Genesis 26. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And that promised seed was Jesus Christ. That's how important Sarah was. That's how important God's best plan that Abraham and Sarah were to produce a son, Isaac, that he was to be part of the descendants of Christ. And you know, from a place of doubt and fear, Sarah became royalty. And you know, just like Rahab, the prostitute in Joshua, it doesn't matter where you've come from today. It doesn't matter what your background is or what's happened in the past or perhaps what doubts and fear you have or even today are carrying. God's plans and purpose, purposes for your life are limitless if you will just believe the promise, if you'll just believe the things he said and believe they are about you. And you know, at first, when Sarah heard the promise, like we said, she laughed. And you know, when she was standing at the tent door and she heard the promise, notice the verses that come. In Genesis 18, 12, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? As I said, it seems like almost at this point that God is expecting a different response from Sarah. Almost like he's feeling, he's proved himself, he's proved the promises are true and he's saying, come on, believe me, trust in my word. And the next sentence is fantastic. Is anything too hard for the Lord? God can do anything. God is not hindered by physical limits. God is not hindered by the world we live in. God is not hindered by the rules and regulations in your country right now. He transcends all things. And you know, in spite of that initial laugh, Sarah did come to truly believe that God could and would do what he said. In Hebrews 11, we read, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, Abraham, were born as many as the stars in the multitude, as many as the sand which is on the seashore. She found that place where she found her God to be faithful and true. And you know, one act of believing, one act of faith can have long lasting ramifications. Perhaps as you're listening today, 
You've never taken that step of faith just to believe in God, just to give your life to follow Christ. Maybe that's your step of faith today. And you know, that one act can change your life forever. And just by stepping out in faith today, I encourage you all, remind yourself of God's promises. Believe what he said, because in believing what he said, it can take you from a place of doubt and unbelief into a place of faith and hope that will change you forever. The prophet Isaiah in 51 was inspired to write this. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you, for I called them alone and blessed him and increased him. First and foremost, Christ is our example, but we can also learn so much from the lives of Abraham and Sarah. And you know, I already said that, you know, Sarah laughed when she was told that she would have a son. But you know, her laugh was turned from one of doubt to one of amazement, of triumph and delight when Isaac was born. In Genesis 21, it says, Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Who would have said to Abraham that his wife could have ever had a child at such an advanced age? Who's given you all the promises and encouragements in your life? Only God could have said these things. And you know what? It's only God that can bring them to pass. It's him who carries not just the promise, but the plan and the method to make it happen. And you know, I believe that Sarah truly is a woman of faith. She came to know that no obstacle was too hard for God to overcome. Nothing was too hard for her God to accomplish. And that is the faith that she had. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of faith that I want. And before we finish today, let me share with you something that God showed me in the last week or so. And it really echoes and resonates so much of what I've already shared about the story of Sarah. Last year, at the end of February, as we were, I guess, hearing here in Germany that lockdown was coming, I probably, like many of you, thought, well, if I'm going to be stuck in the house, then maybe there are some projects or some things I could do to be active, to get the kids off the sofa, things we could do maybe to improve the house around us. And you know, at the front door of our house, we have a patch of land that's probably two or three metres squared. It's not particularly big. And for some reason, the owner decided to dump a whole load of stones and rocks on it. Which, of course, in theory, you think, oh, we'll have a nice stone garden. But actually, the reality was that every spring and summer, I had a wheat garden. So I spent my entire spring and summer months pulling up weeds constantly, and then of course, eventually getting fed up and just throwing weed killer over them. And then it looks even worse as they kind of go all brown and decrepit and die. And to be honest, it wasn't really the nicest welcome to our home. So I decided one of the first projects I was gonna do was to lift all the stones up pull out all the weeds, 
line the ground underneath and then put all the stones back on again. Now, I have to tell you, I am no gardener. I am not gifted in that area at all. But the only time that patch of stones looked remotely nice was in very, very early spring because there was lots of snowdrops. And so with my son Dylan, we lifted all these rocks and stones and I decided I'm going to move those snowdrops and plant them in my back garden where we have lots of space and lots of grass. And I probably dug up somewhere between 100 and 150 snowball, snow, <laughs> snowdrop bulbs. And I carefully replanted them in the garden. So Dylan and I pulled out all the other weeds, we lined the ground, replaced the stones, and I'm happy to say we no longer have a weed garden at the front. <laughs> if you come to visit us, you will see a nice stone garden. I don't know if it's that nice, but it's better than the weeds. And you know, a few weeks ago in February, I noticed all the gardens around us had snowdrops. And I suddenly remembered, oh, I replanted all of those snowdrops. So I went downstairs, looking in my garden, and guess what? <laughs> no snowdrops. <laughs> All that hard work for nothing. Oh, I must have done something. I thought, oh no, I've killed them all. What a waste of time. So the weeks passed, and I watched everyone else's snowdrops blossom, and then eventually start to die as the weather's warming up here, and spring is here, and everything else is coming through. And then last week from my balcony, I spotted one snowdrop, just one. So I ran down the stairs again to look, is this, you know, a tissue on the grass or is this actually a snowdrop? And sure enough, I have one little flower. But then as I looked around, I realised that was the only flower, but I had lots of snowdrop plants. I could see them, I could see the difference between them and the grass. I didn't kill them all, they're still alive. <laughs> and I want to encourage you today that the promises of God never fail. Things that in previous years, perhaps even before Corona, you were working towards, things that you'd planted seed in, you'd put your time and your effort, all of those things are not dead. It may be that it was work, it may be relationships, it may be your studies, it may have been a business or a business idea or the promise of God over your life. God's encouragement to us today is they are not dead. And you know what? I may not see another snowdrop. I may have to wait till next spring, perhaps maybe even later this year for the plants to properly glow before I finally get some proper snowdrops. Do you know the season has changed? Our world has changed. Everything has become so messed up that, you know what? Why can't God give me snowdrops in May or June? If God can give Sarah a baby at 90, he can do anything. And I want to encourage you today, keep those hopes, those dreams, those projects alive. Right now, I love singing the song Waymaker. I like the chorus. And I like the verses, but I especially like the bridge. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Let me say that again. 
Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, God, you're still working. You never, never, never stop working. And right now there may be nothing to see, but God is always working. Working to fulfill his plans, his promises, working to bless you. And if we can learn anything today from the life of Sarah, it is to hold on to those promises and keep believing, stay in faith, regardless of what the season may be. Whatever our landscape looks like, let's wait patiently on God to come through for each one of us. Just the last thing today, I felt specifically to say that for some of you, you feel that there are a number of relationships that are dead. And as I say, it may have been from before Corona, it may have been around the time of Corona, and you've thought to yourself, that relationship's dead and gone. And I feel God's encouragement to you, it may be a friend, it may be a family member, God says to you, he's been working on that, he's been working on your behalf, and not to presume that that relationship is dead, but to go back and revisit it, because underneath the surface, his spirit has been working and there has been a change. So I encourage you, don't dismiss those things. Don't lay them down. Don't presume they're dead. God is at work. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, God, that you're here. Father, I thank you that your promises are yes and amen. That, Father, every single thing you've promised in your word is true and it stands and Father, for each of us here, Father, every single person that's listening or watching, the God you've spoken to is you've given us promises, you've given us passions, you've given us giftings and talents, and you don't give us those things to frustrate us. But Father, you give them so they can be outworked in our life for you to bless us. And Father, while we face uncertain seasons, Father, I thank you that we can be certain of you. We can be certain and sure that Father, you are a good God and you are working to bless us. Father, I pray for each person, God, that you will cause a rise of faith, a rise of strength, a rise of encouragement and comfort to be able to stand up, keep believing, keep moving forward so that we can see those promises and those blessings come through. God, I thank you, you are a good God today, that it's your heart's desire to bless us and bless us and bless us. And we give you our praise and we give you our worship today. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Mm -hmm.